The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Great examples of prayer and scriptures, and most of them actually come in the New Testament, come through the Apostle Paul. And it's very fascinating to read what and think through what he prays for. And when I compare what he prays with kind of like my prayers, I just feel like, you know, pretty much a rookie. And, uh, and so I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look this week and next at this first. There's actually two prayers of Paul recorded in, in Ephesians, and they're both very powerful. In fact, the one in Ephesians chapter 3 is, for me, like the all-time ultimate prayer. I love that prayer. But this one, the first one in chapter 1, is also very powerful. And, uh, and I want to actually read, starting with verse 3, because what he, what he s- sings of praise in his, his prelude doc- doxology that we've been studying is very much connected to what he prays for uh, in the following verses. So I want to read this passage all together. And it's a bit long. Uh, But please bear with me as we read God's word and really continue worshiping God who has blessed us with all these incredible spiritual blessings. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received, or actually we are, God's inheritance, his own possession. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his, his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So for this reason, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for God's people everywhere. 
I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. That's as far as we'll get today. Um, It's interesting, Paul begins this prayer, and they really are very closely connected with the doxology that we spent so much time going through. Um, And Paul, uh, in his prayers, really gives us a great picture of what prayer is about, of what we ought to be praying for, about why, why we pray. And uh, he starts off this passage by, and this prayer by, by these simple words, for this reason. For this reason, because of this, I pray. Well, what are the reasons? Well, he's pointing back to everything he's just talked about in this doxology. Uh, and it's significant that Paul prays based on his understanding of God's character and his activity in our life. Okay, the, the motivation of the starting point for Paul in prayer was his deep and rich theological understanding of God. All right? And uh, you know, we took a lot of time going through this doxology because there's so much packed into it. Uh, I won't do this, but I could actually preach two more good sermons out of those first few verses. All right? And, uh, you know, but I, uh, we, we got to move on. But it's full of good stuff. And Paul says that that good stuff is the foundation of the basis of why he prays. Uh, Paul could say this, what I am praying for comes out of my understanding of all God's spiritual blessings. And he just went through this whole thing of God's incredible spiritual blessings. How God chose us from before the beginning of creation to make us holy and blameless in his sight through the blood of Christ. And Paul you know, talks about that. He said, we've been blessed with this adoption as his son. God has made us his children by adoption. He has redeemed us through the blood of his own son and given us forgiveness of sins. He has set us free from the grip that sin has on our life. Uh, He talks about how God has revealed or made clear to us or shown us his plan uh, unfolding in Christ. Um, He talks about how God has been working out this plan and will bring it to completion that that's the, the constant energy of his activity is, un, is, is carrying out this purpose and plan. Um, he talks about us being God's prized possession. Uh, some translations sadly talk about uh, God giving us an inheritance, but really we are God's inheritance. Okay, now God thankfully doesn't have to die to get his inheritance. I think we may have to die for him to get his full inheritance, I'm not sure, but we are God's inheritance, his treasure, his special prized possession. Right? Uh, he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He's marked us. He set us apart. Uh, and it says that all this is to display his glory. That all, God has done all this not because we deserve it or merit it, not because um, you know, we prayed so hard for it or wanted it. But in the end, he did all this because he wanted to show and demonstrate the depth of his love and grace and compassion for sinners. That's the the theological backdrop of all this. And it's out of that backdrop that Paul prays. And when you look through this prayer, 
his prayer is very much a reflection of all that he's just been talking about. In fact, he uses a lot of the same terms about inheritance and being a special possession. And he talks about the Holy Spirit and wisdom and understanding and insight and God revealing this plan and this mystery. Okay, he prays what he's just given God praise for. Okay, he petitions God to work and show uh, the Ephesians what he's just thanked God for doing already in their life. Okay? And I think that's very significant. For Paul, the starting point of prayer was always, was always Scripture, was always the full message and content of the Gospel, was his clear understanding of God's nature and his activity in the world. Okay? That's where Paul started praying. And that's what formed and shaped his prayer. That was the focus and goal of his prayer, that these great truths that he understood would become uh, embedded in the hearts and minds of those he prayed for. Now, when I, comp- when I compare that with my prayers, I'm a little bit ashamed, okay? What is the starting point of my prayers? Well, honestly, most often the starting point of my prayers are the things I need, the things I'm in trouble with, the things in my life that God needs to fix and solve, uh, the things that I'm you know, frustrated about or worried about or disappointed in, the things I want, right? the things I need, the things I want God to do. right? Often that's where we start. Now, I want to say right up front that there's nothing wrong or bad with that kind of praying. Okay, I want to ask you to raise your hands. How many of you pray those kind of prayers? Because you'd all have to raise your hands. And the rest of you would have to lie, right? Because that is where we pray. And there's nothing wrong or bad with that. In fact, when we look through the Psalms, the Psalms are 150 prayers of just that very thing. God, this guy's just about, you know, this guy hates me and he's ruining my life. I want you to zap him, right? That's a, that's a Psalm prayer. God, my life is in trouble. I'm sinking into the pit. Please rescue me. God, I'm, I'm sick. I'm dying. I've got this fever. My bones are aching. Please heal me. Okay? So that's the Psalms. Right? And there is certainly a place and a call for us to call out to God when we're in trouble. And that is a legitimate and, and powerful place for praying. And really, when you're in trouble, when things are going bad, when you've got problems, when you have needs, that's what we're invited to do. We're supposed to do that. So please keep doing that. And don't hear me that I'm saying that some of that's wrong or less spiritual. Uh, we are people who desperately need God. And calling out to Him when we're in the midst of crisis and need and hurt is, is what God invites us to do. And He promises us that if we turn to Him, if we come boldly into His presence, uh, we will find help in our time of trouble. We will find His grace in our time of need. Uh, so prayer does have that function. But... Um, is that really all prayer is? Okay? Is that the ultimate expression of prayer for a mature believer who has been walking with God, um, who God is inviting to experience more power and more uh, substance in their prayer life? I think Paul would say there's more to prayer. There's more to prayer than just that. And the deal is, here's, here's how it works for me. When my life is falling apart, my prayer life gets more substantial. right? And I spend a lot more time praying. I spend a lot more time waking up at 2 in the morning worrying about things and I don't know what to do, so I pray, right? But when everything's going well and I don't have problems, what happens to my prayer life? Well, I'm back to the list, you know? It's like, well, God, um, hmm, let's see. I don't know what to pray because everything's going pretty well. And, you know, we don't want it to change, right? 
So we need to move past that in our prayer. And, and so Paul gives us some help with that. Um, he, he prays ultimately in light of great spiritual truth. And it's significant also that there are a few instances in, in, in the epistles where Paul talks about things he would like prayed for himself. And certainly Paul had needs. He was in prison. He talks about needing a code. He needs, he needs help, just like we all do. But the focus in, in the epistles of Paul's prayer is not so much for himself, but for what he prays for the church. What he prays for these people who are coming to Christ who are accepting the good news of the gospel. The problem with a lot of our prayers, if it's only about my needs, my wants, my desires, my struggles, my prayer life becomes totally me-focused. Okay? And even though that's kind of the way we are, it's not the ultimate expression of what we ought to be as Christians, Right? Uh, our prayer life shouldn't be just about us. At some point or other, uh, we ought to be praying for other people. If nothing else, our children or our wife or our husband or people we work with. You know, We ought to be praying beyond just our own, our own needs. right? So when we do that, how do we pray for other people? How do we pray for God's church in, in general? Um, Paul had been to Ephesus, but it's, it's very clear from a lot of evidence in this letter that this letter was written not just to the church that he planted in Ephesus, but really to a much larger audience of people he didn't know. In fact, in this prayer he says, I'm thankful when I heard the report of your faith in, in Christ and your love. In other words, these were people that he was getting a, a report about that he didn't know personally. But yet he was very committed to praying for them. We ought to be doing that. We ought to have a vision and a burden to be praying for uh, this, the, the general fellowship at CCF. We may not know everybody, but we ought to be praying for the people in this fellowship. The church all, all across Chiang Mai, the church all across Thailand, the church in our home country. That's what Paul did. All these letters, he's praying continually for these churches. Constantly, daily, regularly upholding these churches. Well, what does he pray? Interestingly, uh, you know, the church in Ephesus, as with all the churches in this area at this time, were under severe persecution. Like Paul, people were being thrown in jail. People were uh, being martyred for their faith. People were being terribly persecuted. In all of Paul's prayers, in all of his epistles, uh, I don't know of any instances where he prays, God, please protect them from the bad things that are going to happen. He doesn't do that here. It's like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, uh, He does not pray for protection. He doesn't pray for safety. He doesn't pray that God would provide for all their spiritual needs. That's my favorite one. <laughs> right? He doesn't pray that. What does he pray for? He prays for something completely different. Right? He doesn't pray that God would protect them and provide for them. All right? uh, he prays based on this rich knowledge of God and his blessings. And that informs this prayer. I really think that we, we really need to be much more scripture-focused in our prayer. Uh, I, I think theology ought to be the basis for how we pray for one another. Uh, and we ought to be praying in light of God's character and his nature, as Paul does. So he prays for these spiritual blessings. And uh, in fact as we look through the, the doxology, remember all the blessings that, that he's thankful for were spiritual blessings. 
Okay? He actually makes no mention of any thankfulness for any physical blessings in this doxology. It's all focused on the spiritual things. And his prayer is likewise focused on the spiritual, not on the physical. Another problem for us, or for me anyway, is that I, I tend to live so much of my life consumed with the daily affairs of the physical life. And the reason for that, honestly, is that for me there's often a big disconnect between you know, food, my car working, uh, you know, my, my daily battles, and these spiritual principles, right? And for me, there's just this gulf. It's like, well, this is kind of where I live, and the spiritual thing is out there somewhere, and it's supposed to have some, something to do with my life, but I'm not quite sure what or why. So what I would like to do is go through the things that Paul prays for, and I'd like to try to connect the, the two things connect the spiritual things that he prays for with how it affects our real life. And the reality is, I, I believe Paul prayed for the spiritual things not because he didn't care about their physical needs, not because he didn't care that they were being murdered and thrown in jail for their faith, but because he knew the ultimate answers for those problems were going to be found in the spiritual realities, the spiritual truths of the gospel. And so he prayed for those things because he knew those things would have huge impact and benefit in their everyday life. That those spiritual realities would give them strength to stand and live and serve and, and walk with God. So I want to I just real quick go through, we won't make through all of them, but go through some today of what Paul prayed for and, uh, and, and why it made a difference. Okay? As he prays for these spiritual things, why it makes a difference. Okay? So let's look at the first one. Uh, first of all, just ask the question, what are we thankful for? What am I thankful for? Paul starts almost all of his prayers with some statement of being thankful. And he says that for them. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I have been thankful. Great place to start prayer is with thankfulness. Um, what are we thankful for? Well, here again, for me, the easiest thing to come up with are the list of physical blessings. I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for safety. I'm thankful that this week my car runs. I'm thankful that, you know, I have food. You know, it's really easy to, to be thankful for those physical things, right? And we should be. Okay, we should be. But, but notice what Paul's thankful for. He says, I am thankful for their faith and for their love. For their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their belief in the gospel, and for their love for the, the body of Christ. The tangible expression, the real everyday expression of real love towards other believers. All right? And those are really spiritual things. He's thankful for the spiritual work that God is doing in their life, evidenced by their faith in Jesus, and that faith gets worked out as they love each other. Um, well, that's pretty simple and self-explanatory. What difference does that make? Why is that important to pray? Why, how will that help us in our everyday life? Well, let me give just a couple suggestions. One, uh, if, we're only, if, if, we, if we develop the practice of only being thankful for God's physical, earthly blessings, uh, we set up a situation where our joy and our thankfulness and our happiness 
can only exist when everything's going our way, right? Uh, we set up for ourselves a situation where our joy and our dependence, our thankfulness, is based on our physical circumstances. If that were true of the Apostle Paul, he could not be thankful. Because at this point in his life, he was sitting in jail, uh, in a prison, in a dungeon, uh, stripped of his freedoms, uh, probably barely having enough food to eat, struggling along with no physical blessings. Uh, But Paul was incredibly thankful. In fact, he's so thankful that he starts off this letter with this huge doxology of praise because he is bursting with praise in the midst of his trials. Why is it important to be thankful for spiritual things? Well, simply because when we learn to be thankful for the spiritual realities, the spiritual blessings in our life and the spiritual work that God is doing in people around us, it enables us to be thankful no matter what. The reality is, sometimes life is not going to go so well for you or for me. Okay? God did not promise that he's always going to make things work out exactly the way we want. Okay, now I, I'm sorry to bring, be the bearer of bad news. But God doesn't guarantee that. God never promised that if you follow him and you do all the right things, that everything's going to work out the way you want. Everything's going to work out the way God intends by his will and purpose. But it may not always be according to your plan or your idea of the way things should be. And when those things happen... When, when difficulties come and things don't go well, if we haven't learned to be thankful for the spiritual blessings, we will grow bitter and angry at God. Right? And sadly, I, I've encountered too many believers who, uh, you know, when, when life was going good, they were happy, joyful people. Great worshipers could come to church and get excited and praise God. But when trials and difficulties come on, the first question they ask is, where is God in the middle of all this? Why has God abandoned and deserted me? Because they haven't learned to see the spiritual blessings that can never be diminished or lost by our circumstances. So it's vitally important that we learn to start being thankful daily at the outworking of faith and love around us, both in our life and in the people around us. To start seeing... God's hand at work in the spiritual realm where people are trusting and believing him and following him and where they are showing love and kindness to each other. Uh, This past week, that was powerfully demonstrated to me and I truly was honestly thankful for this and really really struck with how awesome this is. As many of you know, we have a little boy in our children's home, his name's Matthew, who's just got severe cerebral palsy and uh, he, he just struggles. He's three years old. He just had a birthday last week. He's three years old uh, and he just can't do anything. Can't swallow, can't feed himself. He's got a feeding tube. He's blind. Uh, He can hear. His brain is developing in some areas and he's responsive, but his body just doesn't work. Um, Well, uh, we have been trying to teach the staff that even though his outward body doesn't work, that his brain, there's a lot of parts of his brain that are just as normal as, as ours. And it's hard for them to understand that because you look at him and he just looks like there's nothing there. But his brain is, is coming alive and he's responding to things. And so we're trying to teach the staff, you, know, you need to start teaching him things because he can learn. Even though his body can't function, his brain doesn't need to teach him things. And I found out this week that one of our staff who watches him in the mornings, 
every single morning, has worship time with Matthew. And she sings and reads the Bible, and her and Matthew worship together. And that's what she does every morning. I thought, what an amazing, cool picture of her love for this little guy that really nobody else would care about. But she knows that in his heart and in his spirit, he's alive and he's a child of God. And so every morning, the other staff said she's in there just singing away, her and Matthew, praising and worshiping God. And I heard that and I, I was just thankful. I thought, that is cool. Because here's someone who's loving and who's exercising faith uh, in a way that nobody ever sees. Well, now you know. Maybe God sees, right? So we learn to be thankful for those things. And it changes our life when things go bad for us. We have a whole different perspective on what life is about. Second thing, uh, what am I looking for? Paul says that I'm thankful for your, for your faith and your love. And I have not stopped praying for you asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Uh, Paul prays for them this very simple prayer. And really, this is the heart of the whole prayer. The rest of it is kind of unpacking and explaining that one simple request. He prays that they would have wisdom and, and really the spirit, a spirit of revelation. Now, there's some debate in this passage if Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit who gives them wisdom and revelation or if God gives them spiritual wisdom and spiritual revelation. Well, I don't know which is true. Probably they both are because ultimately it must come from the Holy Spirit and ultimately the, the wisdom that he's talking about and the revelation is spiritual. It's understanding that goes beyond just our intellect or our mental capacity. Um, and really what he's talking about here is that these Ephesian believers would have the capacity or the ability to grasp the nature and character of God. And as you go on through this prayer, it becomes clear that you know, Paul has just explained this whole great list, this great grocery list of spiritual blessings. And I, I, I have this feeling that Paul got to the end of this and he goes, you know, I better pray for these guys because I don't think they really get it, right? Judging from my own experience, I think Paul is right. Because when I read through these blessings, a lot of them I don't really get either. You know, they sound cool and at some level I go, well, I'm adopted by God. Hmm, I think that's a good thing. But I don't really get it, right? I don't really get it at a deep level. Because I think if I really got... I really got that God adopted me as his son. How would that change my life? Uh, I don't think I've really fully comprehended that. Because right? I think my relationship with God would be much different if I, if I knew that. Uh, so I think Paul realized, you know, I, I talk about this stuff, we teach this stuff, but I don't think the Ephesian believers really grasp it. So he prays, God, by your Holy Spirit, give them wisdom, capacity, insight, knowledge. Uh, un unveil for them the significance of these great truths. Beyond just mental assent. Drive it deep into the very core of their being that they would know 
what this means so that they would come to fully know God. That's a powerful word. And, and the words that Paul uses here really has the idea of not just knowing about God, but having specific, clear knowledge about God that's experienced on a personal level. Okay? So in other words, Paul is not saying this. God, I pray that you know when I go to Ephesus and I give them their final exam, they'll be able to pick out the right answers on the multiple choice quiz sheet. Right? A lot of times we think that's what Paul's talking about here. That, and we go, well, I know the answers to this. Uh, why did God choose us? Do we know the answer? God chose us for? What was that? His own glory, that's right. And here he says for his adoption, for his, to be holy and blameless in his sight, for his own glory. You know, we could spit off those answers. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He is talking about knowing God knowing his character and his nature in a way that's intimate and personal and, and deep in our spiritual being. We have a clear and concise knowledge of who God really is. The reality is, and, and, and why is this important? Um, I really believe that for most of us, we have a correct doctrine and we could write out truths about God and we could answer all the quiz questions and get most of them right. At least I would hope so, right? It all depends on who wrote the quiz, right? <laughs> and what, what we think the right answers are. We know mentally and intellectually a lot of stuff about God. How many, did you know that God loves you? How many knew that? Some of you knew that. That's good. Some of you are still trying to work on that one. We know that, right? Mentally and intellectually. Uh, however, I think that at another level, spiritually speaking, whatever, and I, I don't know what that means, but somewhere at some deeper level in our life and existence, we have made God not after these truths, but we've made God very much after our, our own image. We've fashioned and created an experience, uh, a connection with God that is very much more human, and it's very much more based on our own experiences that have nothing to do with these great truths as we know them mentally. Now, let me give you an example out of my own life. Uh, when I first came to Christ, uh, you know, I went to Bible college, I read the Bible, I, I, I was very proud of my theology and my doctrine. However, over here on this other side of how I actually experienced God day by day, my experience of him was quite different than my, my mental understanding of him. And one of those areas where that was most true was in the idea that... Uh, for all my life growing up, for a lot of reasons, I, I was formed and shaped to be a people pleaser. That's probably why I'm a pastor, you know, because I get to try to please, it's not enough to please one person. I have to try to please more and more and more. And it's a defect, okay? It's not a good place to be. And uh, so I've always tried to please people, but not because I really want to show love and kindness to them. My, everybody knows a people pleaser. Why are you a people pleaser? Well, because you want people to like you. Right? You please people, and it's, an, it's, a, it's a barter deal. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to be what you want me to be, so you will like me. Right? And so I lived my life in, for a lot of years in relationship to people that way. And uh, it was kind of subtly and very deep down, maybe even unconsciously, how I existed. Well, guess what? My theology of how God worked in reality was exactly the same. 
My prayer for many, many years was, God, I want to please you. Well, that sounds pretty spiritual and good, right? And over here in the doctrine side, you know, it sounds good because we're supposed to live to the glory of God and please and honor him, right? But over in everyday real life experience, what that translated to is this. God, if I don't do exactly what you want, you're not going to be pleased with me and you're not really going to love me and you're going to disapprove me. And so I lived for years and years with this feeling that I could never measure up to God's standard. That God was always somehow just kind of disappointed with me. The guy was always going, oh, Tim, you know, I just, I wish I could like you more, but you're just not quite there, right? Now, you know, in, in truth, I would say, God loves me unconditionally. But spiritually, deep down in the, in the core of my being, that was not how I knew God. That was not how I experienced God, right? I experienced God as somebody who I had to please, Otherwise, he wouldn't like me. All right? So I had to be, I, I had to have God do a spiritual work and give me spiritual understanding and revelation. Not in my brain, but in my heart. That, that God is not like that. That the God who I worship and, and serve liked me when I was an absolute jerk and creep and horrible person. He liked me then. He adopted me as his son when I was an awful, awful person. And he loved me unconditionally then. When I was this horrible person, far from him, lost in sin and death. He actually sent his son to die for me then. Because he loved me so much. Right? And that there's absolutely nothing I could do to please him. That's the point. I had to come to experience that in the depth of my being. There's nothing I could ever do to please God, good, bad, or otherwise. Because his pleasure in me was based on his own character and goodness, not on whatever I did. Right? And I remember the day when that finally, that, that truth went from my brain to my heart. And I understood the, the true meaning, or I started to understand uh, the true meaning of grace. And I just was kind of blown away by it. And ever since then, the knowledge that has been growing bigger and bigger, I think it needs to be the size of like the Atlantic Ocean. Right now it's about the size of a three-gallon jug, right? But it's a start, right? And that's what Paul is praying for, for them, that they would gain spiritual knowledge and revelation, okay? That these great truths wouldn't just be academic insights that are clever and that make us know which church to go to because they believe the same things. It's much deeper than that. That these truths would be driven into the core of our being in a way that it changes our contact with God. That we experience and connect with God in light of his true character and nature. Not in light of what we project on him from our own skewed view of the world and dads and relationships and people, right? So that they would know God fully. So that they would really know him. And the word that's used there has the idea, it's very much a word of, of experience, of relationship. That we would experience God in the depth of our being. Okay, that's Paul's prayer for them. Well, how does that affect real life? Well, you know, if you encounter and experience God at that level, it changes everything in life. Right? It changes everything. When God comes from just a set of doctrines that are out there, 
to knowing those things and experiencing those things in the heart and depth of my being. Wow, that changes everything. Uh, because now, uh, I don't need to be a people pleaser. Okay, sometimes I still am because it's an old habit, right? I really don't need to be a God pleaser because I've come to realize that I can't please God. So now, I don't have to serve God. Right? And for the most part, I don't serve Him because He's God. He doesn't need my help. Right? I don't have to serve God. Now, He invites me to work with Him, which is an amazing thing. He invites me to come alongside and be a part of what He's doing. I don't have to serve God like He needs slaves, you know. Um, I, I get to be His son. That's different. Uh, he's delighted with me even when I mess up. You know, here's the thing. You can totally shipwreck your life. And if God, if you are a recipient of his grace, your shipwrecked life will give as much glory through your shipwreck as through what you do successfully. Okay, work that one over in your theology. You know, so we should sin more, right? Well, Paul in Romans says, probably not. But the good news is, you can mess it up pretty bad. And still your life can give glory to God because of the outworking of his grace. All right? That changes life. Um, another implication this has for everyday life um, is that, you know, Paul prayed... Because he recognized that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that people can come to know these truths. Okay? And this has huge impact and implication in our life. Paul said, and you know, Paul was a pretty good teacher. You read through what he writes in the Bible? Not bad, right? I would love to have heard him preach. I'll bet he was a fiery preacher. Like, I'll bet... Well, you know, he preached all night one night and the guy fell asleep. But generally speaking, I bet people didn't fall asleep listening to Paul preach. I bet he was like pretty, wide, pretty lit up, right? Um, he, you know, he, this guy knew God. I mean, he was, he was a powerful communicator of gospel truth. Did Paul rely on those things to change people's lives? Not at all. Not at all. Paul prayed. Paul knew that, you know, he, he knew I can write this letter and this letter is pretty good. And uh, it is pretty good. I mean, the writing in this letter is extraordinary. It is just extraordinary. Uh, Paul could say, you know, this is good. This will do it. This letter is going to turn these guys' lives upside down. Is that what he thought? Not at all. Paul said, this may, this may get them started thinking. But the only thing that's going to make a difference in their life is the Holy Spirit. And the only way the Holy Spirit's going to do that is if I pray for them. So I've got to pray constantly for these Ephesians. Because the only way God's going to effectively complete his ministry in their lives is through my prayers and through the work of the Holy Spirit revealing to them truth. That has huge implications in our life. All right? What is the greatest, most significant work you will ever do to change another person? Well, for me, it's preaching, right? If I preach, if I study hard, read all the Greek, you know, and analyze everything and put it together with the right illustrations and, you know, try to paint the best picture, I can change people's minds and they're going to follow and love God, right? 
Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, if I was the greatest preacher in the world, which I am not, it's not enough. You know, I had the great misfortune of taking, learning preaching from Haddon Robinson, who is just, if you know, if you know Haddon Robinson, he's just a phenomenal communicator. What a curse, you know. And I thought, if I could ever preach like him, that would make a difference in people's lives. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because that's only affecting the intellect, which is important, and it's part of the process. But it's not the end of the process. You know, what's required is the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating their hearts. He says, he goes on in the prayer, he says, I pray that, um, praying that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand all this. The Holy Spirit's got to turn the lights on. How is that going to happen? Through your great preaching, through your great leadership, through your great administrative ability, uh, through your great mentoring and discipleship? Is it dependent on you and your gifts and abilities? No. Sadly, I hate to tell you this, if, if you thought otherwise, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the power of God at work in people's lives through his Holy Spirit. And if we want to unleash that power in people's lives, we need to be people who pray. And we need to be people who can pray beyond our own need for food and clothes and, you know, money. Or God fixing our own problems. We need to be people who learn how to pray God's power into his church that it will be turned upside down by the radical work of the Holy Spirit opening people's eyes to the spiritual realities that are, that are already theirs. We do that through prayer. Paul prayed because he knew that the real thing that would have effect was his prayer life, not his letter writing. Okay, alone. Now, his letter writing wasn't bad. He was pretty much inspired of God. And I count it as God's word, absolutely. It has power. But even at that, Paul knew he had to pray. Why do we pray? What are we praying for? Well, if we came to the reality that the only way God's going to really work in another person's life is if we prayed for his Holy Spirit to work in them, would that change your prayer life? If you really believe that. Well, I would hope so. I would hope it would change uh, not only your prayer life, but your work life. You know, uh, when I prepare for preaching, do I spend as much time praying for the Holy Spirit to do his work as I pray for God to use my words? Well, the good news is, on some, on some days I actually do that. Not always. <laughs> some days I actually pray for the Holy Spirit to work uh, in me and through me and in your hearts. Well, I want to do that this morning. Take some time to, to, to practice what God invites us to do. And uh, I would like, as we close, just to invite you to get in groups of three, four, or five people, maybe as a family, or people sitting by you, and pray for these things. Be thankful. But don't just be thankful for God's material blessings. Be thankful for the faith of your kids, faith of your spouse faith of those in this fellowship who are seeking to love and follow and know Jesus. Be thankful for the love that's displayed. You know, there's a whole group of people down teaching Sunday school because they love our kids. And they're doing something to show that love. Be thankful for those things. And then really pray. Uh, let's really pray for God 
by His Spirit to help us know in that place of daily experience who God really is. Uh, Pray it for the people in the group. Pray it for the people in this room. Pray it for the church of Thailand. Pray it for the church in your home country. That the body of Christ would live experiencing God's presence in clear, profound, and powerful ways in their life. So let's take maybe five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, pray together uh, for God to make himself known in our lives.